spend one more week just kind of just kind of recapping everything because man we've we've covered a lot of ground in that time and and so since the first message in this study we titled it the kickoff because not only was it the first one but it just so happened to line up with the first week of college football but we we called it the the kickoff so since that was the kickoff i thought it was only fitting that this message was going to be called overtime and so this is the overtime overview and so this morning we're we're in overtime this morning it's a, it's a, it's some it's some bonus football that we're getting and and the reason i wanted to to recap what we've been learning in this book is because our time together in god's word whenever it is on sundays it it's 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 never about us getting through a book it's about the book getting through us right so instead of just rushing right to the next thing I believe it's a profitable thing to just kind of walk back through what it is that we've been learning. And, and as we do that this morning, I, I would just want to begin by reminding us of the special application that the book of 1 Thessalonians has to those of us that are alive right now in the period of time that we're living in right now. Because, because God included this book in the canon of Scripture for us, certainly to teach the church truths throughout all the ages but this book has a special application for those of us that are living right on the cusp of the return of the lord and, and one of the reasons i say that is because if you'll recall there's a reference to the return of christ near the end of every chapter in this book and, and i have to believe that by god repeating himself and by repeating this theme in this book over and over in every chapter that what he's trying to do is he's trying to get our attention and he's calling our attention to the fact that, of course, though all the Bible is, is for us, this book has a special application to those of us that are alive today because this book was not only written for us, but it was written to us as the church. And even more specifically, it was written to us as the church in the last of the last days. So we can't understate the importance of the ground we've covered over the past 11 months or so. And so as, as we go back over some of the ground that we've covered, what we're going to do is just kind of recap each chapter that, that in, in, in kind of pull back out some of the important ideas and concepts that are important for us to be sure that we hang on to a, a, as we're moving forward. And so each point on your study sheet is, is going to be the theme of, of a chapter or chapters. So for example, number one on your study sheet is, is the model church, the model church, because because the theme of chapter 1 is the model church. We, the, the church of the Thessalonians was a model church. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 with me, if you would. It says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. So the church of the Thessalonians, they became followers of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church followed the example that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and Jesus had set. 
And it led them to receive the word of God with joy, despite afflictions, despite persecutions in their lives that they had experienced. And, and as the church of the Thessalonians, as they were following, they then became the leader. And, and they became examples to those in their region and beyond. We, we've talked a lot about these persecutions that especially Paul went through, as well as the church of the Thessalonians. And in fact, the, the reason we have the book of First Thessalonians is because Paul, Silas, and Timothy, man, they were getting out of Dodge. They were fleeing persecution, and they couldn't get back to the Thessalonians. And so they write this book that we now know as First Thessalonians. And the consistent theme in Paul's life is, not only does he make it out on the other side of intense persecution, but he makes it on the other side of intense persecution with joy. It's one thing to make it on the other side of intense persecution, but it's another thing to make it on the other side of intense persecution with joy. Paul's response to his persecution at Philippi is actually one of the many times that we see him respond with joy in the midst of affliction, in the midst of persecution. In, in, in fact, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, Paul says, talking about these afflictions and persecutions, he says, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You see, the afflictions and those, those persecutions that were in Paul's life, they weren't going to move him because he didn't count his own life dear to himself. Paul didn't count his life dear to himself because as far as he was concerned, he was already dead. His life wasn't his own anymore. He was crucified with Christ. His life was Christ's, and that's why it wasn't dear to him. He didn't even view it as his life anymore. And so he looked ahead to the day that he would finish his course, the verse said. He, he looked ahead to that day in the future when this temporal existence that we're all currently still in, when that temporal life is over and he's spending eternity with the Lord. And that's how he was able to go through everything that he went through and go through it with joy. And one of the reasons that was so unbelievably important is because that's what he was modeling for the church of the Thessalonians. And then that's what the church of the Thessalonians modeled for their region and beyond. And listen, this was something that arrested the attention of the people in the region of Thessalonica and beyond because just like Paul, they didn't just receive the word with a, a lot of affliction and, and muscle through it. They weren't sitting around moping and licking their wounds and feeling sorry for themselves. No, they had joy in the midst of it. Man, it's easy to have joy when things are going good. When the sun's shining and everyone's healthy and just got paid Friday night, you know, it's, it's, e it's easy to have joy in that. But, but what, about, what about when things get tough? Is he still good then? Anybody can have joy when things are good. Lost people have joy when things are good. The light shines to others, though, when you can joy in the midst of affliction. 
There's joy to be found through the Holy Ghost, knowing that the Lord is glorified in the midst of our affliction as we, and as we look to that day that he comes back and he rewards us in heaven. And go back and look at verses 7 and 8 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 with me again. We, we saw verse 7, but, but read it one more time as we, as we ramp into verse 8. So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And here it is. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Listen, the word of the Lord sounded out from the church of the Thessalonians to such a degree that Paul, Silas, and Timothy say that we didn't even really need this. We didn't even need to say anything. So many people had already received the gospel and, and so many had already heard the gospel from the church of the Thessalonians that Paul, Silas, and Timothy didn't need to say anything. Now, I want you to consider something with me. There couldn't have been much time between Paul, Silas, and Timothy leaving Thessalonica and the writing of the book of 1 Thessalonians. So the church of the Thessalonians, they went straight from being idol worshipers, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. They went straight from being idol worshipers straight to evangelists. Without much time passing in between, they go from worshiping idols to reaching people with the gospel to the extent that their faith was spread abroad in every place and they became a model church. And in that short little time, the church of the Thessalonians, they didn't run off and get seminary degrees. They didn't even go through 18 lessons of discipleship. They didn't have hundreds of hours of preaching that they could go to online. They didn't even have the Romans road to take people down. Many believe that 1 Thessalonians was, was a, one of the first books written in, in our New Testament. So that means when the church of the Thessalonians received this letter, they really didn't have much outside of the Old Testament. They didn't know half of what this group of people know. They got teaching and discipling, but only as much as what was likely a few weeks would allow. But do you know what they had? They had the message of the gospel. And they believed it, and they understood it, and they knew it, and they knew it had changed their lives, and they shared it so much that it spread to every region. They didn't have much, but they weren't entrusted with much. But look at what they did with what they had, and look at what they did with what God entrusted them with. They didn't have much, but they had that message, and that message they had was changing the world. They didn't know a lot of the things that we've learned over the years through, through Bible study. But the beauty of that, though, is, is being able to look back at a group of believers that may not have known much, but they did something with what they knew. And one of our biggest problems today is, is in the information age, is we know it all and have access to it all, but we do very, very little with what we know. Second Peter chapter 1 teaches us what I believe to be one of the most monumental principles for spiritual growth in the entire Bible. It teaches us that the first thing that we're to add to our faith and on this path of spiritual growth, the first thing we're to add is virtue. First Peter, or Second Peter 
chapter 1 in verse 5 it says and beside this giving all diligence add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity and i want to make sure that you notice the sequence it doesn't say add to your faith virtue knowledge temperance patience and so on that's not what it says it says add to your faith virtue add to your virtue knowledge and to your knowledge temperance in other words you're to first add virtue to your faith not knowledge you're to add knowledge to your virtue so there's a sequence not knowledge first but virtue first and that's so important because virtue essentially means you do what you know you do what you know to do there's never any distance or dissonance between what you know and what you do what good is knowledge if you don't do anything with it so you've got to add virtue to your life first and that's what the thessalonians church did and what i want you to see is what god can do with a group of people that didn't have access to the resources that we do didn't have the new testament and didn't know diddly squat about the deep things of god but here's what they knew they knew that god became a man in the person of jesus christ they knew he died and was buried again and was sacrificed for our sins and that he took our place on that cross and paid the punishment that should have been ours and they knew they needed to call upon the name, the only name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And they called on the name of Jesus, and he saved them. And they may not have known much, but they knew that. And they did something with it. And so now that they knew what they knew, and they, were, they knew that they were, they were to tell others about that life-changing truth, they did that, and look how God used them. They had virtue. So with that, with that said, I, I think we're forced to ask ourselves, why is it that that isn't true of our lives? The same Spirit of God that took residence up on the inside of them is the same Spirit that took up residence on the inside of us. That we, were, we were snatched out of the same clutches of Satan that they were. We most likely weren't worshiping idols like they were, but, but man, we had some idols of our own. We were on the same path to hell as they were. And most of us have had way more teaching in our lives than they ever dreamed of. But somewhere along the way, in the midst of getting saved and learning more and more about the Bible, something started happening to us. There started to be this chasm and there started to be this distance between what we know and what we do. And that's why we can't get the knowledge before the virtue on this path to spiritual growth that Peter lays out for us. Because when that happened, what it does is, is it stunts our spiritual growth. And then what it actually does is we become spiritually deformed or spiritually disfigured. And what we see from the Thessalonians is what God can do with a group of people, regardless of what they know, that has fallen in love with the truth of the gospel and of the person of Jesus Christ, and they don't, every, don't know everything, but they're just dumb enough to do whatever it is that they already know to do. And the Thessalonians knew they were to share that message. The word of the Lord sounded out from them. 
And because of that, they were the model church, and they modeled it for countless others through the centuries. They modeled for us what a body of believers is supposed to look like. So that was the theme of chapter 1. And then next we saw that the theme of chapter 2 was the model of discipleship. The model of discipleship. And, and we gained some insight into to what a discipleship relationship should look like by, by understanding the illustrations that Paul, Silas, and Timothy used in this chapter. They, they, they used some illustrations to describe how it was that they were treating and how they related to the Thessalonians. We find one of those illustrations in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, which says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherish, cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not only the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they came to the Thessalonians like a nursing mother. And like a nursing mother, they were, they were gentle and they, and they cherished the Thessalonians. They were affectionately desirous of them. And you say, man, I, I have a hard time getting into the, the nursing mother stuff, for goodness sakes. I'm a man. Does all this passion and longing come with a barf bag? You know, and I, I get it, man. But, but keep in mind, Paul, Silas, and Timothy didn't shy away from it, and these dudes were no sissies. Each of these guys were more of a man than most of us could ever hope to be. And so listen, if that's you, I genuinely believe your feelings would change about that if you gave birth. If you were a part of giving birth spiritually, that passion, longing, and affectionate desire comes a lot more naturally. Similar to our physical children, our spiritual children, they hold this special place in our hearts. Like verse 8 says, they're dear to us, they're, they're beloved. But sadly, there's there's not too many people out there that are a part of giving birth consistently to spiritual children or at all. And so most believers have a hard time understanding these feelings that they're having. But listen, even if you're discipling someone that you didn't even know when they got saved and when they experienced their, their second birth and when they were born again, this love and affection that Paul, Silas, and Timothy described that's, that's something we've been called to have towards that disciple anyway. You see, you see, we're great at telling people that we love them, but when it gets down to it, we want to love them from afar. I love you, but stay over there. <laughs> right? We, we love them as long as they don't get in our way and they do what we want them to do, and as long as they don't need anything from us. And the bottom line is, is we love them as long as it doesn't cost us anything which isn't love at all. Verse 8 says that they were so affectionately desirous of the Thessalonians that they, they weren't only willing to impart the gospel to them, but even their own souls. Man, what a verse that is. I mean, what could be better than sharing the message of the gospel so that those people that heard it could literally be snatched out of the clutches of hell and the devil and into the loving arms of Jesus. As individual believers in Jesus Christ, what could we possibly do for someone that would be better than sharing that message? Well, there's actually one thing according to verse 8. 
The only thing we can do for someone that would be better than sharing the message of the gospel with them is sharing the message of the gospel with them while imparting our own soul to them. Imparting your own soul is giving of yourself. It's sacrificing. It's what a nursing mother does. She quite literally gives of herself, doesn't she? She literally gives part of herself to that baby and she sacrifices to do it. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy say, we gave you the life-changing message of the gospel, but we didn't just give you that message and then head for the hills. We didn't give you the message and retreat back to our comfortable lives back at home. We did you one better. We gave you the gospel and we gave of ourselves to you like a nursing mother. And they gave, them to them, they gave of themselves to the point that they were willing to give their own souls to the point that they hazarded their lives and were willing to even give their lives for the Thessalonians. You see, it's one thing to share the gospel with someone. It's another thing to share the gospel with them and actually be willing to give of your own soul and be willing to give of yourself and give of your life. Listen, you know why we don't do discipleship on pre-recorded video? Because it's not just imparting information, it's imparting our lives. God hasn't called us to just give others our words. He's called us to give them our lives. You say, wow, this is, this is some radical stuff in modern times. That's some high expectations. But listen, man, this is all Jesus has ever called us to do from day one. This is what the Christian life is all about, loving God and loving others like God loves us. John chapter 13 and verse 34 says, a new co Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And check this part out. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. We are to love others the same way that God loves us. And that's how people know that we're the real deal by witnessing the love that we have towards each other. First Thessalonians 1.5 even tells us that, that the reason that when Paul, Silas, and Timothy shared the message of the gospel with the Thessalonians, the reason that that gospel came in so much power and it came in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance was because of how Paul, Silas, and Timothy had conducted themselves. It, it says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, that, the, that our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Ghost and much assurance. And what was it that was connected to that power and assurance? As ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Listen, the reason the power of the Holy Ghost was unleashed in Thessalonica, and the message of the gospel was received the way it was, was because the manner of men that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were. And, and the manner of men they were, were men that loved the Thessalonians like a nursing mother. And because of that, they knew they were the real deal because of their love. The Thessalonians knew Paul, Silas, and Timothy's message is true, and their message was from God because of the love that they had for them. And that's how people will know that our message is true too, y'all. That's how people are going to know that our message is from God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says that 
The Thessalonians didn't receive their message as the word of men, but they received it as it is in truth, the word of God. So they received it in in much assurance, in the power of God and in the Holy Ghost, and as the word of God. And the reason is because Paul, Silas, and Timothy were willing to give of their own souls for the Thessalonians. And Jesus said, that's how they're going to know your messages from me. And so check this out. That's not only then how we're to love each other and and those that we're discipling, but it's how others are going to know that we're the real deal so that we can make more disciples. Because the first step of discipleship is evangelism. It's winning someone to the Lord. They'll know us by our love. And that's why we see this incredible model of discipleship in this chapter. And so that's some of what we learned back when we were studying chapter 2. And then next I want us to see the theme of chapter 3. And what we saw from chapter 3 is that the theme of the chapter is the model of faith. The model of faith. The persecution that, had, that came in Thessalonica, it, it had caused Paul, Silas, and Timothy to leave the city like we've talked about. But, but while they were gone, these brothers were extremely concerned about the Thessalonians that they had just won to the Lord. And, and they sent Timothy back to, Thessalon- to Thessalonica to check on them and to establish them in their faith and to comfort them in their faith. And, and then 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 2 says, that they, they sent Timotheus, they sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know... You see, y'all, we've got some scheduled appointments. We, the, these aren't the kind of appointments that you're looking forward to, and, and, and some of us understand that we have these appointments. It's just that we don't know when they are. Others of us don't even know that we have these appointments, but this is the kind of appointment that you don't have to go somewhere in order to keep it. You, these appointments are up with the times. These appointments are, are mobile appointments. These appointments are, will, will, unfortunately, they'll come to you. And this is the ki- these are the kind of appointments that you have with, you know, Dog the Bounty Hunter. It's, it's, it's that kind of appointment, and it usually packs about the same punch. You don't know when it's coming, but man, when it comes, it packs a wallop. And, and according to verses 3 and 4, these appointments that are coming are afflictions and tribulations. And you see, there are people that have oftentimes, they've, They've recently been saved or they're growing and, and they're walking around just excited as can possibly be to have this new life in Jesus Christ now. And they're on this high as they follow the Lord and boom, they get hit with afflictions and persecutions. And they don't understand, they're rattled, they don't understand what's going on. And it's important that we warn people of this reality. It's important that we warn them as we're building them up in the faith. They need to know that these appointments are coming. That's why you'll see that someone, people come off of this spiritual high, and next thing you know, they're completely off the reservation. All of a sudden, you don't see them around anymore. They were happy as can be, and all of a sudden, some persecution came. 
some type of circumstances of life came and it knocked them out. They need to know it's coming and they need to know why it's coming so you don't get defeated and so they don't get discouraged. And we need to show them James chapter 1 in verse 2. We need to show them from this passage that we can count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The trials, the afflictions, the tribulations and temptations are doing a work in us so that we can come out on the other side and we can come out perfected. We can come out stronger. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. That's the positive side of the tribulation coming. And while Satan wants to use that to sideline us from our walk with Jesus, Jesus wants to use it to perfect us, make us more established in the faith, strengthen and settle us and conform us into his image and people need to know that we've got to teach them that so that they don't get defeated out there and so that they understand that those trials those trials they're going to make them more like christ otherwise like first thessalonians 3 3 implies if if we don't warn them listen they'll be moved by these afflictions as it says being moved by afflictions is the opposite of the previous verse in verse 2, which lets us know where to establish them in the faith. Being moved and being established are, are polar opposites of each other. And, and, and so like we saw in verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians 3, we need to establish and comfort them. But like we're seeing in verses 3 and 4, we're also to warn them about these afflictions and tribulations that are coming because according to verse 5, Satan wants to use those things to tempt us. But here's what's so great about the Thessalonians and, and why they're such a great model of faith for us. Because despite their afflictions and despite their tribulations, despite what they went through, despite only being saved, what my goodness couldn't be for too awfully long, and despite how Satan was already coming for them and trying to tempt them, and despite how those things could have easily sidelined them from the faith, according to 1 Thessalonians 3, 6, when Timothy came back to Paul and Silas to, to give them a report, he brought them great news about the Thessalonians' faith and their charity. Despite the afflictions, despite everything that was going on in their lives, the Thessalonians got through all of it by faith. And so the Thessalonians' model of faith was the, was the theme of chapter 3. And then lastly this morning, chapters 4 and 5, they both show us, number 4, the model walk. The model walk. And I'm not talking about the walk a model does on the runway. <laughs> not that model walk. Anybody want to come up and demonstrate what that's like? Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1, which says that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they showed the Thessalonians, do you see it? 
They showed the Thessalonians how they ought to walk. That's what they showed them. And what we did then was we compared Scripture with Scripture, and we said, well, how ought we to walk biblically? What does that look like exactly? How have we been instructed to walk? And there were a few different ways that we looked at, but one of the key ways was that we're to walk in good works. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10 it's a, it's, a, it's a great verse to share your faith and to lead someone to the Lord and to understand salvation, but listen to the whole thing. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then we usually stop there, and that's usually where we stop memorizing that verse. And, and typically we proceed to make the point that, of course, good works don't save you and of course, that is definitely an accurate assessment of what's going on here in this verse. But though works don't save you, the next verse goes on to show us the place that works do have. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So check this out. Those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ are his workmanship and we were created in christ and we are his workmanship that was created in christ because of according to second corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 if any man be in christ he is a new creature we're new creatures because we were created in christ and we are therefore his workmanship and all of us new creatures that were created in christ God previously ordained that we should walk in good works. That's something that God ordained. That's something he ordered that those that believe in him should walk in good works. He ordained it previously because that's always been the plan all along the line. It was always God's plan to have a group of people that were called by his name, Christians, Christians, and, those pe and that those people that they would walk in good works and that their life would be something different. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 says it like this when talking about Jesus. It says, uh, sec, uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. We don't have it, just listen. Okay, no worries. The, the, just listen. It says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. God set aside for himself a, a peculiar people or people that walk unique and different from the rest of the people in the world. And we're peculiar, unique, and different because we walk in good works. The, we, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, it said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Walking in good works, that's very peculiar nowadays, isn't it? That's a great word for it. There's nothing more peculiar than someone who's walking in good works. It, 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 and walking in those good works and, and putting them on display for the world to see, it glorifies our Father which is in heaven. As believers in Jesus Christ, y'all, that's how we ought to walk. We ought to walk in good works. 
And then chapter 5, it gave us more truths for us regarding our walk. In this chapter, we see that, that right now we're living in a spiritual nighttime. We, and one of the reasons that we understand that it's a spiritual nighttime is that Jesus said as long as he was in the world that he's the light of the world, but then ultimately the light of the world ascended back up into, into heaven to be with the Father in heaven. And, we would, and if we would have been there, we could have literally been sitting there looking in the sky as he goes up, and we could have sat there and said, there went the light of the world. And Jesus went up, and the light went out, and it became a spiritual nighttime. That's what time it is, and it's late in the night. But 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 says, even though it's nighttime, we're children of the day and of the light. We're not children of the night and of the darkness anymore. And we used to be, but we're in God's family now that we're saved. Therefore, or because of that, our walk should be different. And according to 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, it says that one of the ways that our walk should be different is, is that we shouldn't sleep, but we should watch. One of the things plaguing churches in the darkness that we're living in is churches that are filled with people that are asleep. There are people inside that they seem to be awake. There might even be some decent teachings going on inside. But once you get past that, you realize that nobody in there is actually doing anything. Some of them are holding on to the right doctrine, but that's all they're doing is holding on to it. They're not doing anything with it. Ephesians 4 in verse 11, it tells us that one of the reasons God even gave the church pastors and teachers is to perfect the saints, but for a particular reason, for the work of the ministry. But in your typical Baptist church, we can find ourselves hanging on to correct doctrines, in which we should, and holding services to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, but nobody actually goes and does the work of the ministry. We just talk about the fact that we should be doing the work of the ministry, and we talk about strategies on how to do the work of the ministry, but we just never do the work of the ministry. We want to hear about how the missionaries that we're supporting are doing and, and if they're you know, earning their keep out there. And I want to hear about our missionaries too, but how are we doing with the work of the ministry? Because God entrusted that to us too. Most of the churches are asleep. Very few take the Great Commission seriously. Very few are trying to reproduce themselves spiritually. And though there are people in the room with their eyes open, they're asleep. And God says, that's not what our walk should look like. You see, it's easy to fall asleep in the nighttime and not even realize you're asleep until an alarm goes off. And the alarm goes off and you're like, whoa, I was asleep. And what I'm trying to do by circling back around to some of these truths that we've covered over the past 11 months is is sound the alarm on this thing one more time before we move on to other things. It's time to wake up, and instead of sleep, we better do what verse 6 says, and we better watch. The time is too late, and too much is at stake. And sleeping is one of the things going on in the nighttime that we're living in, but there's something else that's going on in the nighttime we're living in that Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, and it's, it's definitely affecting our walk because it says we're, we're not to be drunk. 
And, and though, of course, we, I think we all know we're not to physically get drunk, he's not necessarily talking about that here. And, not, and certainly we shouldn't be drunk with alcohol. But what God is doing is, is he's trying to point us to something beyond that. He's trying to point us to something spiritual. And, and sleeping and being drunk, those are the two main things going on physically in the night. And sleeping and being drunk are the two main things that are going on spiritually in the night. And one of the key ways that, that, that people are drunk in the spiritual nighttime that we're living in is, is people are drunk on their emotions. Because just like with alcohol, those emotions, it's as if something else is controlling us. We're not in control anymore. It's not the spirit and the truth from God's word. It's, the, it's our emotions that are the ones that it's in control. They pull us this way and they pull us that way and we just do whatever they say and they're dragging us around. And listen, emotions are a good thing. Emotions are from God. God shows emotions in the Bible. But there's a difference between having emotions and those emotions controlling us. That's why Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 it, it says this, it says, Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Feeling anger, and um, the, that in emotions like anger, it's not a sin, but what we do with it can be, and how long we hang on to it can be. Verse 27 says, Neither give place to the devil. The, in other words, when you don't have your anger in check, you're giving place to the devil. You're giving him a place. Go ahead, Satan. Pull out a chair. Belly on up. There's a place for you at the table. Proverbs 16 and verse 32, it, it says that he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. You want to know what being mighty actually looks like to God? You want to know what real strength looks like to God? You think it looks like the, the warrior that takes control of the city? But real might and real strength is someone whose anger and emotions are under control. It's easy to get pulled around by them like a drunk. But strength is found in being sober while being under con the control of the Holy Spirit. That's what our walk is supposed to look like. And listen, anger isn't the only emotion we can be drunk on. And there's a lot of us, that the emotion we're drunk on is fear. We fear what's going to happen to our country. We're fearing everything that could possibly happen under the sun to our children. We fear what the future holds. But that fear doesn't come from God. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. You see, this thing of fear, listen, I think everybody in here probably is familiar with that verse, but have you ever noticed that this thing of fear, it has a spirit about it. There's a spirit to it. And just like alcoholic spirits do when someone is drunk, and just like the Holy Spirit is intended to do, it controls us. There's a spirit connected to this thing of fear. And it's not the Holy Spirit, it's another spirit, and it's a spirit that's controlling us. And if it controls us, it's just like alcohol, man. We're drunk on fear. And the later it gets in the night, the easier it is to get drunk. 
And the later it gets, it's easier to fall asleep. That's, that's why the end of this verse tells us that the spirit of fear doesn't come from God, but the spirit of a sound mind comes from God. Our mind is controlled by God, and it's sound because it's sober. That's what comes from God, the spirit of a sound mind, not the spirit of fear. That's how we're to walk. And listen, God's been saying to us through this study, I want you to be prepared for the return of the Lord, and I'm going to show you how you can do that through the book of 1 Thessalonians. The coming of the Lord and, and prophecy about end times and the rapture and second coming, all that can be really fun to talk about. But the prophecy of Christ's return is not just to sit around and talk about and figure out all the ins and outs of, it's to get it in our lives. It needs to get in our life, not just our theology. In other words, it should be a call to action. It should change the way we live. Otherwise, knowing the truth about Christ's return doesn't do us any good. And because this book is written to prepare us for the coming of the Lord, that means there's a special application to us, those of us that are living just before his return. So, which, which also means that there's a special application to those of us that are living in the Laodicean church period, right? Because we would all agree we're living in the Laodicean church period. Those of us living in the Laodicean church period are described in Revelation chapter 3. And in Revelation 3.15, it's talking about us. And, and here's what it says. It says, I, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. God says the fact that you're lukewarm disgusts me, man. Decide what it's going to be. Is it going to be me or is it going to be the world? I just wish you'd choose. And that's exactly what describes our day and age, man. We're not cold or hot. We're just right in the middle, just lukewarm. But do you remember what the name Thessalonians, you remember that name was, it was derived from something. And in, in, in that name it was derived from, it just so happens to mean, and, and we started our series this way, and this is the way we're going to end it. Check this out. The ancient name for Thessalonica was Therma, and it means the hot springs. Because of the hot springs that were in that area, and you know a good way to solve the problem of being lukewarm in this Laodicean age? Hot springs. And what I'm hoping that God has taught us through this study is that, that, is that for a group of people that are characterized as being lukewarm, that God has something special for us if we'll follow what we've learned in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And instead of our lives being characterized by being lukewarm, they'll be characterized by hot springs. And what I love is, is that it, it doesn't just mean hot water. That would have been cool too, but it means hot springs. You know what springs do? They just keep pumping it out, man. They just keep pumping out that hot water, don't they? It doesn't run out, and I don't know if there's anything that's more of a testament to that than how the book of Acts describes the Thessalonians. That was characteristic of the lives of the Thessalonians. We, we talked earlier about that persecution 
and those that didn't believe in Thessalonica, that's where it came from. And so some of those Jews that didn't believe, they're, they're ticked off, and the Bible says they, they assault the house of Jason. They're looking for Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And then Acts 17, 6 says, And when they found them not at the house of Jason, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Man, what an unbelievable way to be described. These that have turned the world upside down. This is actually how their enemies were describing them, not realizing they were actually giving them a compliment. Wouldn't that be amazing to be said of us? Do, do you think the ship has sailed on that, or do you think that God still desires to use churches that way? We're not there yet, but that's why we have to be striving for this, y'all. That's the design, is to have a church that is used that way. Not one that just files in and out on Sundays, but one that has characterized by hot springs in an age of lukewarmness. Father, we love you, and I thank you for this group that has so many have been so faithful to be here throughout this series, and I'm thankful for them, and I'm thankful for their diligence to listen and to glean and to hopefully apply what they've learned, and I pray that I would apply what, what, what you've been teaching me. God, I'm, I'm, I need your help. I'm a fellow struggler that is pulled by Laodicea as much as anybody, and I pray, God, that, that that would not be characteristic of my life or any of our lives, God. Would you do a work in our hearts? You've taught us so much through this series. God, I pray that this could have just been a time to just kind of highlight some of what we've covered before we just move on real quick and, and go on to the next thing, God. Could we just hang on this rim for a little bit longer and and just soak in what you're trying to teach us. And can we go out those back doors different than when we came in? I pray that would be the case, God. We love you. In your name, amen.